This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Oh, look at that. Look. It's a gateway. Where could it be, too? How about your weekend, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Kelly and Rumya. As this is a Friday edition of the show, we swing open the gateway to your weekend. Rumya is there at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here, home studio, London, Ontario. Hello. Rum, are you set? Lots of action two weeks from Monday. Oh, yes. I was going to say lots of action this weekend. Not really. No, I'm not doing much. But yeah, two weeks from Monday. It's coming up, the countdown. So. We want people to be part of this live studio audience thing that we've got going on at the Great Hall in Toronto. You can uh, send questions, queries, or reserve your spot, info at uh, ami.ca. That's that, that's where you do it. But the real action is obviously we're going to roll out a show, a special, that will air later in prime time. We've got some great door prizes, folks, that are there. You can win things like, well, of course, swag from our show and Tim Horton's cards. Mm-hmm. A few of those there to kick around. I think I'm forgetting something. Oh, rum, yes. The one that makes you say every time this comes up. So I'm not really part of the show. Um, I'm just going to be an audience mm-hmm. member. Uh, two $500 gift cards to uh, some obscure company. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting. I'm, uh, oh, Apple. Sounds delicious. Right? I mean, yeah. that could really cover our new AirPods second gen. Pro. Yeah, uh, see, uh, yesterday I missed out on the segment with Michael, and I was already like, okay, let's get the basket ready, let's get the shopping yep. going. So, yeah, that might be my way of getting them too. So, there may be two other hosts hosting the primetime special, folks. But uh, if we suggest for the chance to win some of this stuff, the chance to have some fun and be a part of the audience and hang out with us and a fantastic band, Lucas Henneman will be joining us. But I'm probably telling too much now. We know I have a problem with doing that uh i better stop and better get to what's coming up on today's program microsoft is offering politicians protection against deep fakes awesome this is going to be fun john beeler of course he's here he'll have all details for us the toronto blue jays for you fans brought home some hardware this offseason and brock richard's going to tell us all about it during our sports update And we are very much looking forward to the chatty bookshelf today, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Huey has a special edition for us. He's live on location at the Province Athenium in Rhode Island. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hang in, stick around, or return later for hour two, because you don't want to miss that conversation with Ryan today on the program. I want to stick a bit with... Interesting places, Rum, and and, and art here with this discussion here I've got for us. Um, A room in the century-old Manitoba Legislature building is now home to a semi-permanent exhibit featuring Indigenous art. I think this is so amazing. I, I think this is so amazing. Now, this has been collected by the provincial government. The exhibit is the brainchild of former House Speaker Norma Major, Norma Major, uh, the longtime progressive conservative member who chose not to seek re-election. Now, she says she envisioned a space that captured the province's vast 
um, array of contemporary and traditionally and traditional indigenous art. They're not stuck in some office somewhere where people can't enjoy them, and they're significant pieces, and they speak to the history of, uh, you know, different parts of our history, and uh, I'm glad we can showcase it here. The province has amassed more than 2,800 pieces from diverse artists in the roughly 50 years since it started its art collection. I, Rum, I heard that they were collecting stuff. People had stuff that they purchased, 60s, 70s. These were put in offices, and I, I said the magic word there, purchased. I mean, we always talk about, oh, that's really nice. We'll take that and put that here, and things being found, and people appropriating stuff um, mm. and again i'm not suggesting that that's what went on all the time but in history we can be ashamed of, of knowing and of do doing that kind of thing but these were all purchased and put there and the respect for the the art has always been given to put a room together like this i think is really cool but it also says something about i'd like to think the positioning that the government has the, the, the lots of people there who are indigenous that smile and say, yeah, it's a nice recognizing. Now, we know there's always things we can say, hey, there's some disrespect here, and we know that's been in the news of, of late in Manitoba. But I really like somebody pushing for this and it being a part of the legislature where it darn well should be. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to come to terms with and still acknowledge. Um, and, you know, there's our individual learnings, as we often point out here on the show, especially as we go through them ourselves and have the opinions of it. But really the accountability of these bigger entities like government, but not always subject to. But yeah, government takes a huge part of this because our histories and, uh, I guess, challenges and conflicts around history with mm -hmm. art with possession with you know location and stealing and and almost like this arrogance of hey this is ours and you can't ask any more about it we will take this from you and that's that that falls a lot on government all over the world yes yes we'll show these off gladly for you uh, pay for them no. We'll, no we'll take them and they will be where our citizens can see them and stuff um and i think that that's what i really liked in one of the clips of, on this subject it, it said that that these were purchased these were in offices and instead of keeping them oh, the in respect. that office that one over there let's put them all in a room where rummy and kelly could walk in and say wow explain these describe some of these to me and i think it's beautiful so fedora's off guys really nice coming up as we continue through our Friday edition of our program, one of our favorites in Toronto, Susan Kearney, recently went to the Royal Winter Fair in Toronto. You know she's got all sorts of finds that she discovered there. We're going to hear about them next on our gardening segment. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Remember, when you have time, folks, check out the repeats of the program. You can find us at 10 p.m. Eastern time on both AMI-audio and AMI-tv. AMI-tv at 1 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI-audio. Anytime you can check out the show, we really appreciate it. Any way you check it out, whether it's uh, if you're listening onto the audio, TuneIn Radio or OOTunes, any of those apps, they've got us. They've got AMI-audio over there. And, of course, across Canada on AMI-tv. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of Kelly and Ramya. Thank you for being with us wherever you are as we swing open the gateway to the weekend. It's time to talk gardening. Let's bring in, as we do every Friday, Susan Kearney.
Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Ramya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. You know, Sue, back in the old days, uh, they uh, would have that darn old calliope out there at the fair, right? Years and years ago, all those things that made you think circus and stuff like that. But even at the fairs, I think some of them would have it. I just feel that that wonderful, you know, fresh air when you're out there looking around. The Royal Winter Fair is a little bit different, but the one thing that remains the same is Sue Kearney goes there every year mm -hmm. looking for finds. Yes, absolutely, and 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 this year it was um it was very busy, which is really good. Um, yeah. Last year it wasn't as busy. I think people are now beginning to you know get back out there, which I, I found really good. And there were several um, school buses uh, of of nice. kids, uh, high school kids primarily. Uh, which is very good um, for our um, people who li live in urban areas to learn about um, where where our food comes from uh, and uh, what what is actually available at at this type of fair because it is different wow. than a an did you do fair. It there back are in no rides. Days? Yeah, did they did they take you there back in school days? So I I, I think we did no. it from W Ross. No, you never did it. No, not at all. But I, I was very lucky to um, be able to, to go with a family member, uh, and 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 I did. And that was my first, you know, my my first love was was with the, uh, you know, all the animals. And um, now I, I find it more. Um, it's it's a joy for the senses. Uh, you can um, touch a lot more. Um, actually become involved in in some of the activities mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's it is it has changed which is is really nice of course everything um has to as you know as we as we change and as um different things change and what one of the things that i i really like is the uh guelph university every year has a um, a display of different uh, experiments that they are doing, that they are working on. This year, it was very interesting because they had um, soil. Um, how we should be treating our soil? Um, mm. Should they it be tilled or should it not be tilled? Well, you <laughs> laugh about this because one of the experiments they had is they took cotton underwear, like don't know why cotton underwear, but the cotton underwear, and they buried it for a certain amount of time. I believe it was three to four months to see the breakdown, and it had to be cotton, so they could actually test the breakdown in um, the nutrients, what was breaking um, things down in the soil, and I always talk about, you know, leaving your leaves and so on and so forth. So this was mm -hmm. an experiment. So if the soil is tilled too much, um, our nutrients being taken out of it as as we do that. So it, it is an experiment. It was very very interesting. Um, there was a a young student, that, well, you know, young to me, <laughs> lovely gentleman who was um, explaining it to us and uh, what what the experiment was all about. Very interesting. Wow. So Sue, does the idea that if you're tilling it, so I gather they use different tilled amounts of uh, tilled soil, placing those uh, the, the underwear underground and kind of ch judged in that four month exact same period. 
how decayed or whatever you want to call it, uh, degraded they were. And that told them on, hey, this was tilled 100 times, 300 times, the the, the level of if nutrients were being lost. That's interesting. Yes, it's very interesting. So that's an ongoing study. The other one was, and and I would like to delve into this because I I love bees, as you know. Um, They're actually doing some studying on, you know, of course, our bee population is is, um, declining, and they're doing study on perhaps it's something they are eating, ingesting. So they had a whole great biology class would be, um, they had dissected um, the in the um, digestive system of bees. Actually, it's extremely, um, uh, well, it's complicated. It's it's very complicated. Of of many insects, their digestive system is very complex. So that was very very interesting. I I would like to um, find out more about that particular experiment. And and we had fun things too. Um, Because this is a, a sensory fair, I always say, because you can hear the animals, smell the animals. In many cases, you are allowed to touch certain animals, so you can mm. go, um, I, uh, yeah, which is very, very cool. And and just just to walk around and hear all of those different animals is 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 very interesting. They also have displays of, of different kinds of vegetables and fruits, uh, where they're grown, and you know, giant pumpkins that you can walk around and touch. And it's very interesting how big they grow. Uh, different types of vegetables, and then there are the vendors, and there are very many of them. Uh, one of my favorite is um, to buy wild rice, and it is from a northern Ontario um, business, and I have been buying their rice for many, many years. I, I, I love it, it's, uh, and, and, and it's grown um, on, on their property. Um, they forage it. They also have mushrooms, dried mushrooms, that, um, and they forage for those. So that, um, that particular company I go to every year and purchase their, uh, purchase their rice. And this year, I found um, a tea company, and it, they had different types of tea that is actually made, and I never thought of doing this, from many of the herbs and uh, fruits in, in your garden. This is very mm-hmm. cool. I bought one that has strawberries and um, holy basil, which I had a tremendous amount of. Yeah. I froze it. So it's, it's just really in and chamomile so i think right. i bought three different types of of these dried teas with with fruits with the herbs in them and uh so that i i found that really interesting that we that we're doing that and this is right in ontario and uh and different different companies and just walk and really um there, there's tons of different food there but you can walk through those aisles and get samples of yes. all sorts of things, different mm. cheeses and fudge. You know, the fudge, always have to buy the fudge. Oh. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I think the um, regular vendors, as you said, you know, the animals that you can hang out with, the giant pumpkins and carrots and other things like that, there are lots of just the regular 
favorites, right? The classics that we know the Royal Winter Fair for, Susan. So it's yeah. cool that you, you know, got that experience, but also some of the new stuff. What kind of conversations did you have with some of the vendors that stick with you? Anything that you learned well, that felt very new or interesting? Yes, um, um, I am. Um, I actually um, found a new vendor um, this year. I and I, I believe that um, I can probably have the stuff shipped until I get to um, next year. Um, and they make um, different um, fermented foods uh, like kimchi, and I love kimchi. Um, it's it's very good, and I'm always looking for good good kimchi. It's uh, of course it's it's. Um, it's fermented cabbage, usually. Uh, this particular one that, that I bought, is they had one for, for kids, the kid-friendly one. I didn't buy that one. But I bought the very hot one. It's got hot peppers in it. It was so, and, um, so do, and carrots. I can't remember everything that's in it, but different herbs, different nice. spices. It's, it's really, really good. It's very good. And, um, you know, of course, you get a little cup of the stuff that you can, you can try so that you you know you take it home. It's it's really good. Um, they also have different um, kinds of, of vinegars that you take as shrugs. And I bought one. Um, it is a berry um, based one, and you actually just take a very little bit of that um, once in a while to help the digestive. So it's it's yep. interesting to see what's actually being made out there and. Um, and, and and interesting because all agriculture. Can you just go once? Um, In the past, I, I you've been several times, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought because I thought you go like a couple of times a year. At least, yeah. Yes, I. You know, I I I would like to, but um, uh, now I get too too tired walking. So mm. I, you know, this year I went yeah. once, and um, and 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 that's good. You don't get to see everything, but uh, you you know you you sort of know that where to find the, the, the people that you, you want to see and just walk around and and see different you know talk to different people um, that you know and and touch different things they had um you know the alpaca stuff which is because we oh, have yes. several alpaca farms, farms and it's, it's very yep. lovely yeah Absolutely. Oh, the, the, the alpacas are so loved. But, Sue, you know where the things, if you're with somebody, say you go for the first time with one of your yeah. gardening friends, you kind of know where to go find your kimchi. Or you know how to say, yeah. hey, it's in the northeast corner or whatever. Yeah, yes, yes, because there's, there's different areas. Um, a, a lot of the area that, that I like to go to is the northern Ontario um, area because that's, you know, that's where oh, yeah. I find a lot of, that's where, yeah, and it's very interesting. A lot of really good food, um, soaps from Manitoulin Island um, that, you know, I always get a, a few really nice soaps from there, uh, from a place from Manitoulin Island, which I really like. Mm. Um, there's, you know, there's blueberry farms. It's, it's just, it's, it, it really is a, a wonderful way to just, and even if you don't really buy anything, you can um, smell the different things. They have, mm -hmm. uh, sa you know, s samples. That oh, yeah. you, 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 could, you could really eat your way through uh, that and, and have a good time with that. Yeah. And go online to order, like the tea, for example. Like you, you could yes. continue to get that year-round. But what a way to, like you said, the samples. And a lot of these folks, this is the only yeah. time they come down to this, to, to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And the shows, yes, do you yes, ever stick around the for the shows? Like, um, the I have been, uh, 
several times. Um, uh, of course, the horse shows. I yep. love those. I, I love to go mm-hmm, and say hello too. to the horses. Yeah, and um, so uh, we did not um, have, uh, sit for any of the, the shows this time, nor buy tickets for the evening um, horse show, which is the big one. I believe it's tonight. Uh, but um, uh, sometimes I have done that. And, and yesterday it was very interesting because they had um, like a sheep showing um, uh program now we we didn't stay for that but it was it was very interesting uh to you know for the sheep to come out so people could <laughs> actually look at the different types of sheep and i i gather that it's competition just yeah. like just like everything there's a lot of competitions mm-hmm. there it's very cool it's very and yeah. everything is so uh it, it's it's really a, a wonderful experience wow well, Sue, I love when you talk about it. There's so much. There's so much to go over. And, and it's amazing mm-hmm. because I don't know how you retain it all, but going all the years you do and the things that you like to do yeah. and the new mm-hmm. stuff that you hear about there. Awesome report. Thank you as usual. Thanks. Bye. Susan Kearney, our gardener, Royal Winter Fair time. If you uh, are going out there, folks, enjoy. I think if you're interested in it, maybe you haven't gone to it, Sue just gave you a lot to think about and to go and experience. Mm-hmm. And, and every time we talk about it, we bring up those p- pumpkins from, and I always bring up the roosters because that, to me, yeah, as you hear them, yep. you hear them through the place, you smell those smells, whether it's it's soil yep. that you smell or specific foods and things like that. So Never forget really, the really baby fun. chick newly hatched chick that I held and it was just like a vibrating fuzzball in my hand. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing. I thought that sheep thing would be interesting, but I too like to get a kick out of the horses. It's it's really mm-hmm. interesting what goes on and what they do. Yep. Join us every Friday for gardening with Susan Kearney right here on Kelly and Rumya. Up next, Microsoft is offering politicians the protection, folks. Against what? Each other? No, 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 no. You can't do that. But you can against deep fakes. How will it work? John Beeler has more on our app, app update next. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. If you're greedy like I am, you want to get your hands on all that great AMI content that's out there, folks. So AMI's new streaming service has officially launched. We've talked about it here on the program. AMI is fully compatible with assistive technology, including screen readers and magnifiers, Windows, Apple, and uh, Android platforms all covered here. And, of course, the device is thrown in there as well. Check it out. Visit amiplus.ca right now. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan. And let's get to our Friday app update. This is our usual time when we check in with John Beeler and get all our tech news. Let's go. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramya where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut. John, let's start with OpenAI, um, because though we talk about ChatGPT often on the show or some kind of AI-related scenario, there's now these custom ChatGPTs, plural, for personal use and sharing. So how are they, uh, I mean, it seems 
like the way to go, but how are they doing this? Um, this is a really interesting announcement that came this week as part of the uh, OpenAI Dev Days. This is for developers to sort of get a first look at some of the new features that are coming. And Dev Days. Uh, like what that. I've seen uh, on the internet from people that were in attendance is that basically this makes what we saw a year ago when they launched ChatGPT feel like nothing we've seen before uh, just in a single year of advancements. And what they're doing with these GPTs is they're harnessing the power of uh, the full uh, ChatGPT interface, the 4.0, the latest edition, uh, the full spectrum of the internet. And then you have the ability to create your own custom version of that. And what that means is that, for example, say you wanted to uh, create a tool to replace me. And what you would do is you would upload all of the blog posts and, and articles I've ever written about technology into ChatGPT, create the John GPT, and essentially you can have a conversation with me through ChatGPT, knowing my writing and uh, sort of vocal styles. It knows all oh. of the things I've about and it also has the benefit of the full internet behind it as well so you can ask me about new technology for example that doesn't even exist yet because if it's on the internet it's part of that thing and it chat gpt will then sort of use that information to generate responses to you and it's a much more natural language uh facility now than even before so hold up mm. it'll talk like you it'll act like you based on the samples that we upload do we have to upload it or can we just be like go look for john beeler and upload every like his identity through whatever you can find or do we well, have to I take the responsibility the intent is that you wouldn't copy a person this way this was mm. just a simplified example mm. uh one of the examples that uh the the, the person that created uh, chat gpt and OpenAI in general sam altman he said he gets asked a lot of questions by founders and how they grow their business so he created a gpt for founders to specifically ask him those questions and he sourced uh, a bunch of uh talks that he's given some blog posts and things like that he fed it all into the system and then essentially uh he can share that gpt to some to anybody else on the internet either right. publicly or internally and they can ask questions of it just like they're talking to sam See, and that, right. this kind of thing is already out there, right? There are other similar apps, not OpenAI, um, that give you the opportunity to speak to the therapist AI or the journalist AI or, you know, your best friend kind of AI, like just different personas. Um, yeah. it, it didn't necessarily focus on expertise, though, and I think that's one crucial thing to do, remember with this. Yeah, and this this basically has the benefit of the expertise that we talked about, but also say, mm -hmm. for example, if it's a if the company, uh, you want to give it your entire knowledge base of your customer support information so that it's really specific to your line of business and your your profile. And the thing is, this doesn't require any coding, doesn't require any special skills. Literally, you just copy and paste into ChatGPT. Right. right. Wow. It's, it's interesting to me because, like you say, you could sell that as a product to some other sim similar business needing that kind of info or or whatever it might be if you have that available. Or simply ask a John Beeler chat GPT, hey, how would in future, if they make a fuel that does this, that, and it would just comb for the things that and draw the conclusion, the logic that what you would say, what your stance would be on it almost even. 
To a degree, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't had a chance to test this yet because it's still not quite rolled out. Um, but it's wow. really intriguing. And in a lot of ways, this becomes that that extra helpline, if you will, that, uh, you know, and a lot of people are using ChatGPT by itself that way. But this right. is such a mm-hmm. much more targeted and specific thing. And the fact that it's compartmentalized into your uh, set of knowledge skills. So you're basically training and training it with all of your cumulative knowledge that you have that you can share digitally with uh open ai to then package it as a as a standalone mm-hmm. chat if yeah. you will but and in life a much experience in a much too. More, i'm sorry life experience too based on what your education what you've written and put out there what you've made public yeah or what you haven't wow. made public this is one way to keep yeah. it sort of behind yeah. painful right I mean, it makes a lot of sense to streamline it this way because I think a lot of our time now is spent asking follow-up questions or trying to curtail the kinds of responses we want from AI. So this would actually just eliminate a lot of that follow-up, follow-up, follow-up until we get it to where we're having that conversation where it can like respond in the ways that we want it to. Absolutely. And and I think what this does is that, especially for very specific types of uh, businesses or lines of questioning, if you yes. will, um, it's going to just simplify things because it's going to have the knowledge of all the little nuances, the syntaxes, the things. Yeah. The, the problem a lot of people have when they're using Google, for example, is they don't know what the thing is called. Exactly. But if you're asking in yep. a certain context, it will know what that thing is called and it probably will even tell you what that thing is called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. calling up your financial advisor for financial advice, right? Like that's essentially what we're doing here. The specific of it is is very going to be very interesting to see. And again, you can go the other way too. If someone's knowledge base is lo- loaded in there and they have a certain sway or whatever, it's gonna it's gonna come back that way. But that's what you're looking for in that yeah. case. Good progression. All right, John. That's really interesting, yeah. especially what you said earlier. In a year, like wow, um, Microsoft offers protection for politicians against deep fake. What's this all about? Well, this is uh, Microsoft's attempt at giving politicians some peace of mind that they're not going to be deep faked, especially during the upcoming American election cycle. And one of the things that they're doing is they're basically creating a trusted uh, set of credentials, the, the content credentials watermarking system. They basically that will basically bake itself into any original video content or photo content that's created by those politicians. So that way it can be proven that this was not that politician because it doesn't have this uh, watermark that's hidden in it. It's not something obvious, like an actual little bug at the bottom. Uh, it's it's sort of hidden inside and it can be uh, shown to prove it wasn't them. Uh, the problem with this is that's great. And I'm sure all the major political campaigns won't be doing this because they've been told they're not allowed to advertise on a lot of platforms if they use this. But I think the problem is, is that all of their um, supporters and campaigners are still going to use deep fakes to sort of get the message out through non-traditional methods, uh, social mm-hmm. media uh, and other ways like that. And they're not going to be able to control that. No one's going to care if there's got a watermark in it or not, because it's going to be a low quality video on YouTube or some other place. And um, so this is a nice idea, but this also sp- speaks to the fact that maybe they don't quite understand how this is being utilized uh, fully, because proving that you know Joe Biden said something or didn't say something 
only matters if it's a bombshell type thing that's been said right. on CNN or somewhere else. Uh, where those grassroots campaigns are going to happen is not on the major television networks. It's going to be in the trenches, in social media and other places like that, where they're going to be in an echo chamber anyways. And all this disinformation is going to continue to be spread without having any kind of oversight, uh, especially from companies like Meta and other places that have already banned this kind of uh, talk, but mm. it's whack-a-mole. It's constantly hitting yep. and closing down new accounts that are springing up to spread this disinformation. Is it a, an attempt to say we're doing something knowing fully well we cannot stop it on the yeah. level of like you're talking about where it really needs to be stopped because unfortunately we're the most impressionable who will buy it and believe it are right out there on social media and say, well, if it happens out here, it's got to be true. I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think they're doing whatever they can, and this will definitely stop the big players maybe from trying this, although I'm sure they're still going to do it through their side channels sure. in every possible place because uh, they're looking for any type of an advantage and to any any additional voters they can, they can um, procure, they'll use whatever means necessary, as we've seen in the previous election cycles uh, in the world of deep fakes that we live in now. I mean, we know that there's a market for it, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. one thing that you've mentioned, John, in the past. Just, like, there's viruses and there's antivirus programming. Like, there's going to be this kind of thing popping up all over the place now for dealing Comfort. with the—and dealing with the negatives of the newer stuff that's coming out, like deepfakes and uh, impersonations and this and that. I just— I just can't necessarily take it seriously because I don't know how you're going to get one step ahead of this stuff. Well, because general public will believe you to a certain extent, or it doesn't care enough. Mm. It, by the time it make by the time it's verified, it's too late. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's already there. It's our mindset, I think, and our attitudes that have to shift around this stuff, and not like we need to get ahead of it because I really think it's impossible. Uh, you want to talk about Google next before we go? So Google is turning to regulators to make Apple open up iMessage. Are they uh, struggling to find an iMessage alternative? No, they want Apple to open up iMessage so that Google can use it and so people on other platforms can interact with iMessage users. Mm. And Apple has been saying that it's not possible or they don't want to do it. So now they've... Uh, and Google's because done a why? lot of... Sort of I'm just curious about why Apple stands that way. Is it because of end-to-end -end or it's not clear? I, I think it's to it's a competitive advantage. Okay, yeah. It's not unlike BlackBerry Messenger. Right. You know? Right. Keep it in our ecosystem. Interact. Yeah. Yeah. They they want to have that ecosystem. They want to force you to buy an iPhone. Um, so what Google has been doing over the last few months, maybe even longer, has been basically touting this uh, this SMS-based system that does essentially the same thing, uh, and but it makes it so that you wouldn't basically need WhatsApp anymore because you'd be able to get and send and receive iMessages on uh, an Android device, for yeah, example. Yeah, and everything, yeah. Yeah, but the, the thing is Apple has been, you know, very adamant about this and for lots of reasons, mostly probably to keep that ecosystem. And so now they've escalated things in the European Union, which seems to be very successful at getting Apple to change its mind and make it do things like getting rid of the lightning connector, getting rid of the packaging and some of the, the various. Yeah, uh, true. But this seems, this seems like a product problem, right? Like, is this really a rights issue? You know, it's not rights, but like universal design for charging ports or whatever feels like a very different challenge than uh, Apple just basically saying, no, iMessage is ours. This is ours. You guys figure yeah. out your own thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, this all comes down to the sort of the, the anti-competition uh, and competitive nature of these businesses and how, how they force users to use a system that can only be done on one platform to guarantee that you're going to buy that platform if that's an important thing for you. Mm. Um, you know, people will generally go where their friends are. And if all their friends yep. are on Apple and they're not, eventually they might come around because they're going to be exposed to it. Um, if you could interoperate and it wouldn't matter, like, you know, the Mac and PC world used to be like that, but now yeah. it's pretty, pretty level now. You yeah. can run pretty much every app on either platform. Um, there's very few you know, niche products that only work on one or the other. Um, but for the most part, the average person doesn't matter what kind of computer they have, they'll have the same or similar experience. Um, yep. But with this, uh, with this Google thing, they're just really pushing to get access to this so that I think Google's problem is that they're, they're, they're actually noticing a, a, a drain of people going to Apple. Oh yeah, I bet they are. Mm-hmm. For sure. And they've tried, right? They've tried to make alternatives to iMessages or, I don't know, just all kinds of things I hear, even like third-party ways to get iMessages on your PC and all this kind of stuff that's not necessarily just Google. And fail or like it's just not living up to being an iMessage native user. So you can understand. Well, and that's but that was the reality for the longest time we heard there was going to be some bridging and (laughs) it's not happened. It doesn't seem like Apple wants to do it. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. John Beeler joining us on Fridays for our weekly app update. We step aside for a couple of moments. The American Ballet Theater uh, is going to be returning to China after a decade as U.S.-China ties show signs of improving. Bill Shackleton, he'll tell us more on The Buzz after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Glad to have you on board with us here at Kelly and Ramya. We are here weekdays at 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time for the live show on AMI-tv. Over on AMI-audio, check us out. First airing of the program at 4 p.m. Eastern. Ramya and I always, Wednesday through Friday, get a chance to welcome in We call it the buzz, so we bring Bill Shackleton in to cover items off that he has that he'd like to share with us. And you can find the best of the buzz available via podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Mr. Shackleton, welcome back for the Friday Smiling Edition of the Buzz. Hello. Yeah, we're we're back for some interesting articles on Friday, um, including this one. Um, Actually, American Ballet Theatre returns to China after a decade, as U.S.-China ties show signs of improving. So it, I, I like this one because, you know, music is, you know, it, you know, it transcends language, it transcends, or ballet, you know, transcends all ages and it transcends genders and, and, and all this sort of thing. Um, so basically, they have returned now, I believe, so the ballet performed at the Shanghai Theater first, where they performed old and new, um, you know, classical or classic works. Um, also, the interesting thing is the they also hosted the Philadelphia Orchestra, oh. which hadn't been there since 1973. Wow! So that's kind of yeah, that that's kind of interesting. It's it's I'm glad to see this this um this used to be um. 
a really big thing to do. I remember, yeah. and again, I'm sure it, many countries still send their certain orchestras, the old Boston Pops and stuff oh, like yeah. that, that would Absolutely. go to different places. And you'd always hear about this. Like, I certainly heard of the ballet going. Yeah. And I even re re recall Russia would send theirs out. China. We, we'd see this a lot reflected as they did tours regularly around different countries. And we, we loved it. So I'm glad to see this, especially since, as you say, Billy, it's nice to see the, the relationship softening a little bit. Maybe that that's a good thing going forward. But also the traditional um, being where they were at the at the Shanghai Theater. Like, it's it's so nice. It makes you say, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I remember that. And it also gets, why do we have these guys? So they can go out and take their skills, their talents, the gifts they have, and share with the world. Yeah, you often, I often wonder if you, what would the atmosphere be like in China um, if I was a performer or as opposed to, say, the U.S.? Or would it be, well, would it be different or be the same? I, 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 I well, again, I'm going to probably do a sports uh, uh, analogy here because when we watch the world baseball classic you really get an idea how different countries depending where the games are how they cheer how they don't cheer how they you know what what we see here the quiet you know the golf it's so quiet or the um quiet you know the way you treat a opposing team when they're up to the play or how you know and and how loud or not and in china or sorry in japan yeah china and japan it's a whole during the game, there's bands playing. There's all sorts of stuff going on. They're, they all have these songs that they chant, that they sing, you know, to support their team. It's so different than over here where, hey, don't distract. Don't don't make too much noise. You'll screw up our pitcher or whatever. It's, it's There's certain traditional things that you may do in North America you don't do in China or you don't do in Japan or Australia. So I find that fascinating. So your question is really interesting because who knows? Like, I, I think of it always the same. You're watching ballet and that. But then some would say it's flattering to the orchestra if you go to a, a, a performance of the orchestra and fall asleep. Yeah, it, it doesn't. The thing about ballet, too, is interesting is it doesn't matter whether you understand, you know, um, it, it, mm. it transcends. And the, the ballet theater group went to the National Center for the Performing Arts in Beijing, where they performed Giselle, which I guess is, I think is, yeah. a, is a romantic comedy. Right. Um, so, yeah, so. Yep. yeah, yeah. Excellent. That's that, a great one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad to see that this is back because, you know, with COVID, it, it probably stalled everything. But it seems to be that we, we may be hearing more about these, this type of thing. Maybe yeah. the Russians well, are coming back. Through arts. Through arts. Yeah. yeah. And I think, unfortunately, like you said, with COVID, I know a lot of places lost their orchestras. And when I say that, a lot of smaller places, you know, in, in, in Canada here, I can only speak of, obviously, but a lot of smaller towns, the orchestras had to either reduce so much or just couldn't perform and they lost them. So, so sad. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else you got? Well, we also have a performing, another sort of performing arts. This holiday season... The Mean All Grinch gets a comedy podcast um, with hosted hosted by James Austin Johnson of Saturday Night Fame. Um, you may I don't even know who he is, but you might. Um, oh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, this is produced by Doctor uh, Doctor Zeus, I believe, and it's available on Wonderly. 
uh, I guess as a podcast form with uh, a platform with um, Johnson imitating while well, performing the Gringe. And there's going to be new celebrity guests on each episode, a 30 minute episode, uh, 30, 30 minute episodes. And basically, this is family fun. This is for, you know, fam, kids and parents can can watch this podcast while they're, you know, wrapping presents or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think it's I think it's kind of kind of cool. Um, he apparently is it's. Um, he is actually a good imitator. He imitated, uh, um, I guess, Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden. So I guess he's, I wonder if he'll imitate Boris Karloff. I mean, after all, um, you know, he studied Boris Karloff's story. work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. I love the idea of the celebrities, too, on there. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, too. it's really amazing because, you know, with Saturday Night Live, they've got all that, that access to so many comics. Yeah, so some of the uh, well, um, Bob Oker and his daughter is one of the episodes. Is and then um, I believe it fe- the first one featured an Olympic silver medalist. Um, some of the things you can expect on this, which is kind of fun, prank phone calls, comedy bits, weird commercials, <laughs> and um, the Gringe messing with his dog Max. So. Again, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of cool. I kind of like this classic stuff. Like yeah, I, I guess classic it is. Sketch yeah, comedy stuff that you would like to have. I guess if it was a comedy podcast, a little bit of everything. Yeah, family entertainment type of thing, and it's not a remake. I think what he's trying to do is put put the Grinch in a modern world, or or you and, know, and yeah. also I mean, just use the Grinch personality exactly, for these yeah. the, bits, right? Or some yeah. form of the. I like the name of the production. Um, you know yeah. the doctor. You know the because you know you think it's Doctor Seuss, right? Because that's yeah. the Grinch. But this is Doctor Zeus. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Interesting to see it's how it turns out. Yeah, well, I, like, I like I've that it's only this. half an hour. That's yeah, and sure. there's different versions and something fr- family friendly, so you don't have to worry about putting it on and hearing things you don't want the kids no. to hear. But I noticed that with Halloween too, there was a bunch of different takes on things like um, you know Sleepy Hollow, uh, you know the Headless Horseman, the I- Ichabod mm. Crane story, right? There were different people doing different things that would float around out there and make you say, "Wow." And different ways to enjoy it. Because you never know necessarily if someone says, I've always loved this, story. I want to do something, what your take on it might be or what you, how do you make a podcast out of a half hour, once a year Christmas show? And and where do you go with that? It's sort of like we talked about yesterday with Marcus with the game. Well, what do you do with it? Well, this is what I do in the name of, of the Grinch. So nice. Yeah. Next one, sir. Next one. Um, actually, there is a potential milk shortage in the U.S. And... They are basically the tiny half pint, you know, the ones I mean, cartons um, are it, the, the, the basically the company is blaming the supply supply chain. And basically what it basically means is this is in New York and California and other states um, where there's a shortage of milk. Apparently, um, these little cartons are so handy. Because you just drink the it's it's just Ooh, enough milk happened. for one person, and basically what they're suggesting is that you use, um, well, states are obviously scrambling to, you know, overcome the shortage, so they are suggesting um, these what they call dispensable 
milk machines, which I don't, I guess are good, but here's what I don't like. They're recommending box milk. And you know what that is? That's a god awful milk you mix with water. <laughs> oh, my Well, you're talking oh, about the powdered stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want that? Wait, I, but they're I, not going to, okay, hold up. They're not going to deal with this shortage of cardboard by changing actual milk, are they? Well, I mean, you, they got to substitute it for something, right? But I don't understand the connection here. I mean, the stuff that comes in the little baby cartons, that which is yeah. what they're, they're having a shortage of, is yeah. real milk. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the powdered stuff, because I agree with you. Gross. Um, but they're now thinking that we need to switch up the actual product altogether because they can't package it in cardboard? I mean, why can't you just package it in something else? I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it might be that... Um, they haven't figured out how to package it. I mean, it might be just a matter. Maybe they will figure it out in time, right? Mm. How to how to package it. I mean, maybe they just uh, use giant pitchers, like buy normal milk in bags. Oh, wait, that's Canadian. Uh, in bigger cartons and just dispense it in different ways instead of buying individually packed milk. Yeah, but I also think it's it's going to be... That that involves a, a bit of labor, and the the advantage of the the cartons is it's just you give somebody yeah. a carton of milk, it's yeah, gone, obviously. it's down the tubes, right? So it's easier to handle, and it's not just trying to... schools either, right, Bill? Like this is these cartons are yeah, nursing everywhere. homes and yeah, yeah, nursing homes and uh, hospitals, hospitals and... and prisons and heck mm. knows what else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is kind of problematic because this is more than just a silly like. Aha, uh -huh, they ran out of cardboard situation. But I really do think, like, it's not necessarily about moving off of milk or moving off to other milk products because of the longevity of fresh milk and uh, carrying it across the different places. I think it's clearly, in my mind, just change the size of the things maybe that you're that's buying. What, maybe that's what you do. Yeah, just buy um, a different box. Milk. Well, it's apparently milk is required in the U.S. for kids. I didn't know that, but apparently it's required for lunches. So it kind of makes sense, um, though, no? Oh, it, yeah, oh yeah, it would be. I mean, I used to drink milk when I we had it milk at, at the W. Ross. All that you know. Yeah. I don't do it now, but we had it then. It's a staple. And yeah, it certainly is. Full age children, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. I hope they figure it out. Where so was it being I, packaged in California? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of tough. All right, Billy, we got to go. We'll chat with you next All right. week. All right. Uh, we're just um, fixing some stuff around with Kelly. I think he's moved locations or something like that. Gosh, Kels. Uh, we're going to be back, though. We've got cut for time in the second hour. We've, uh, I think it's going to be myself, Kelly, and Bethany joining us when we reflect on conversations from the week. We also have the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Huey. He's at a special location and doing some interesting things for the next little while. Looking forward to talking to him there. But after the break, sports update with Brock Richardson. The Blue Jays are coming up. We'll be back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back as we kick off hour two of Kelly and Rummy on a Friday afternoon. If Kelly was here, he'd say we're halfway to opening the gateway to your weekend. 
Uh, he is here somewhere. Somewhere he's lost in the ether a little, but we'll be back with him shortly. In the meantime, as per usual on a Friday show, let's get to sports with Brock Richardson. I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis. Rocky, you're going to be at the uh, Kelly and Romeo primetime special that we're taping on the 27th of November. Wow. I am. And you know what? I asked, I'm going to, I'm going to like totally ask myself. I asked Greg David, I said, listen, can contributors win the prizes? And he said to no. me, I'll get back to you. And then he came back and he said, yeah, they can. What? So I said, yeah, I'll be there. So get this, out. Is, this is, I know I was so surprised and shocked and happy at the same time because yes no this changes I, everything so bethany and grant do they count as contributors or part of the team hmm. i'm thinking on um, i don't want to answer for greg but mm, yeah greg. i know that contributors can uh can win apparently we'll just grill so. him when he comes on wednesday to talk tv talk prime yeah. time for half an hour brocky where do you want to start off with the sports chat what's your lead off so let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to do that for the front half of this uh, discussion. The Toronto Blue Jays hire uh, Carlos Fabless as their new third base coach. And additionally, their bench coach, Don Mattingly, will have an expanded role as offensive coordinator and bench coach. So this is some new sort of developments. And something else I should share with you is to tell you that Guillermo Martinez, who was the hitting coach last year, is supposed to be returning this year. Now, the hitting was the thing that was a bit of a struggle, so I'm kind of surprised that Don Mattingly, that's not really going to be part of his role, and they're bringing back Guillermo Martinez. So that's a little bit of news from the Toronto Blue Jays front. Okay, Kelly's back. Does he want to comment on anything? No. No, no. Go ahead. I not not right now. I mean, <laughs> Brock, you know I have my viewpoints of the of this hitting stuff and uh, you know the work there. But okay, you know I I whatever. <clears throat> I mean, we got to go through all the nicety stuff right now. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not one to say. Listen, uh, you know I don't call for people's jobs. I'm not I'm not big on that either. But the one piece of struggle that we had was the hitting and. Yep. You know, that's sort of where I got to go. Okay, so you're going to expand Don Mattingly's role, but then you're going to suggest that Don Mattingly or um, Guillermo Martinez is going to return. Okay, a bit confused, but. Well, I I think it's hard when you look at a team like this and say, how can all these people actually have the problems? How can they be so terrible um, doing what the heck they do? It just shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. So to say to somebody like this guy, and this guy has a great pedigree on knowledge of, of, of hitting and stuff. So I, I, I don't know, but that's too many months, too long to go. Um, and I do think there are certain people, Vladdy, for example, people just, he heard too many voices in his ear, just way too many. Yeah. And I want to put out there, this is only a suggestion from the reporters at this point. This is not a 100% concrete that Guillermo Martinez is back. Uh, Shai Davidi said it, it, it's likely. And when Shai Davidi says it's mm-hmm. likely, I, I tend to believe him. He's a yeah. pretty good beat reporter for the Toronto Blue Jays, but it is not I, 100% confirmed. I also noticed the Alec Manoa um, being a necessity to pitch in April and not being healthy enough, and that being another thing Shai brought up in his piece. 
So yeah. I think we need to hear more from the team, more from Manoa about this. But again, like you said, about throwing people under the bus, it's not something you want to do. Um, this team has been credited so much with its, with its medicine, with its nutrition programs. So I'm not really sure where to go with any of that. I, I You just want the guy healthy and you just want to see him get back on the road. Well, and the one thing that I sort of look at with Alec Manoa and say, you know, the, the article the piece in the article said Alec Manoa has a leg up to be part of the starting rotation. And my response to that in my own head slash out loud with nobody in my house was, well, duh, if Alec Manoa is pitching, you know, even 75% better, then obviously he's going to have a spot. Uh, There's just, if he's good enough, we want him in the rotation. If not, we don't and i hate to be that black and white but he just needs to be better and so of course if he's relatively healthy yeah he's gonna have a leg up he's been with the organization for a long time now so sometimes i think the headlines can be a little too obvious when they think when they use things like yeah manoa could have a leg up on the rotation my response is no kidding you know yep but, you want to talk about the hardware they brought uh, by, uh forward in this season that they've been awarded yeah. with yeah, this is tough for me, and I'll explain why. But I'll tell you the the award winners first. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier brings home uh, his fourth Gold Glove, which is means that he was the best in his given position in the outfield. Matt Chapman brings home his fourth Gold Glove, and Jose Barrios wins his first Gold Glove as one of the pitchers. So this for me, guys, is tough because yes. Individual accolades are wonderful. They're they're things that we should talk about. They're things that we should celebrate. But when you are a team sport, it's tough because you want to do well as a team. And yes, these individual accolades are wonderful. For me, I just kind of go, mm, yeah, you didn't make it out of the first round of the playoffs. You know, whatever. Congratulations. Um, there's some people that I wonder, did you really have a good enough season to win the gold glove? I don't know. I think you and I share the same sentiment with the person I'm thinking of. It's Matt yeah. Chapman. You know, it's, did you have a great se- good season? Yes. Was it gold glove worthy? I don't know. But anyway, it's hard because it. you expect him to be a certain way, which is still, no matter at a, wor- a bad day for him, he's still above league average. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's what qualifies you for that glove. Mm. Rocky, bring us up to speed uh, on the Continental uh, curling or a cup continental cup curling event so when you were with us last time we knew that the women's team was going for bronze and men's were going for gold how did they do yes so the women's team carrie anderson took home fourth place they lost uh to team usa uh the men's team ha- head up by brad gushu took home gold and they beat japan so very good start for uh brad gushu in his rink and as i mentioned kind of a, a rough clunky event for Carrie Anderson, but I expect that she will be where she needs to be by the time we roll around to the uh, Scottish Tournament of Hearts and thus the World Championships to follow. There was something strange that happened during the event. It came to light near the end of the event. You want to fill us in on this? So this is so strange to me. There, there are there are rules that you know you read through when you when you go through events, and there are things that are protocols and. Honestly, and I don't want to say this happened with Team Canada, but I do wonder if in this case it happened. And sometimes we skim through those rules and go, yeah, yeah, we we read it. It's all good. Um, 
EJ Harden, who is part of the men's uh, team, he wore a black thermal sweater. Now, what you'd say is, okay, it's a black thermal sweater. No big deal. Well, not according to the Curling Federation uh, that runs the international events. They got reprimanded because he wore a black thermal sweater and it should have been white. My reaction to this is, what? You reprimanded a team because he wore a black (laughs) thermal sweater versus a white thermal sweater? And the response that they got in the room was, well, your colors are red and white. Why are you wearing a black thermal sweater? If this is what we are spending our time on reprimanding teams for, because uh, by all reports, this venue was freezing, I think we just need to move on and suggest that, you know, who cares if it's black, purple, white? I, I don't really care. Now, this is what I said to you guys. I think, you know, these are rules. These are things that are probably written they're probably in the you know mixed within a whole bunch of more serious rules but for me i just think really this is what we have to talk about about team canada being reprimanded okay sure weird but they won the gold medal and i don't think it has to do with black versus white thermal sweater but whatever (laughs) Uh, that pushed you over the top didn't it (laughs) it's just too much just too yeah. much. Oh, for sure. Uh, you want to talk CFL? Yeah. So uh, there's a situation here. We're going to have uh, Edmonton versus Winnipeg in the uh, West final. And the big question here is, what does a team like Winnipeg look like? Uh, Zach Kalaros and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had a week off. They had a bye week. Do they come out fresh? Do they come out, you know, Uh, throwing the ball as they've done all season long their biggest thing is we want to throw the ball we 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 want to air it out we we want to use Zach Kalaros in his arm to be able to do that Uh, the the second question I would have here is Vernon Adams who is the quarterback that took over for Nathan Rourke uh, who had a really good season uh, really good couple of seasons with the BC Lions he's under the same offensive coordinator this guy threw for over 400 yards last week cannot be done with such a stingy uh, defense in Winnipeg. We'll see, but I love this matchup and I think it's going to be really good. I think BC wants to play a little bit more of the defensive style. They can come at you with different, you know, running schemes and they, they don't necessarily air it out as much. They do a little bit, but not as much as the Winnipeg blue bombers. So for me, I'm going to go with the Winnipeg blue bombers winning that side of things and in uh the east final we have montreal and toronto same kind of question i would lean towards what does toronto look like toronto has really had a a season where they really haven't had a lot of adversity they've only lost like two games this year they really haven't had a lot of a lot of things go wrong for them this year their quarterback chad kelly who took over for uh McLeod Bethel Thompson has really had a solid year and let's see what can they do now it's crunch time we're at this position now where it's like what are you who are you what is it going to look like so for me I'm picking Toronto to win which would mean that we would have a back-to-back repeat of the uh, Grey Cup between Winnipeg and Toronto that's my prediction as we sit here 
Love to see it. Love to see Montreal in there. Chad Kelly has just been so much fun. Even where you see him around Toronto, how he's adopted. Uh, son of uh, Jim Kelly, um, of course, a well-known Hall of Famer uh, football player too. And, you know, it's it's really a nice thing to see the CFL in a really good position this year, Brock. And they are very smart to have their finals on Saturday when they're competing with college football versus the big enchilada that is the NFL. Obviously, for the Grey Cup, they put it on the Sunday. But I think for the final, they can sort of tip the scales for one night. But they are very smart by putting their playoffs played on Saturday versus Sunday. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates on Friday's here on Kelly and Rumya. So uh, check him out again every Friday on the program. Coming up next, Ryan Huey joins us for a very special edition of the Chatty Bookshelf. Sorry, folks, I'm just trying to figure out where is he? We'll learn. Big surprise. Hang in. Great segment ahead. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumya on AMI-tv. Over on AMI-audio, catch the pulse this Saturday uh, and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joyda speaks to Paralympian and politician Michelle Stilwell. This is the second of a three-part series profiling the 2023 inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. That's the pulse this Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on AMI-audio. Of course, you can find it on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald here. Welcome back to the program. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Rami is at the studio in Toronto. And we're going to get into the Chatty Bookshelf. It's a very special occasion for our contributor. Let's bring on Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ryan, we're going to get into the description and your location and why it's so cool where you are right now in a second. But uh, before that, tell us all the reminders you need to get. Hey, guys, thanks for having me back. Love the Friday afternoon, almost the weekend. And yes, just a reminder that November, one of the biggest audiobook months, is in full swing. So the sales I've seen are already going strong. It's not even Black Friday yet, but we got American Thanksgiving coming up. And I've seen books as high as 45% off already mm. on Audible and on audiobooks.com. So guys, uh, get into it. Uh, even some things that are happening on X and on uh, Instagram where publishers, uh, narrators, authors, and even bloggers are giving away uh, codes for free books already for contests. And just as simple as like in, what is it, repost now or retweet, uh, whatever we're calling it. Yeah, re-X, I don't know. Yeah. Right, that's repost. all you got to do. So uh, you know, oh, get involved and get some of those free stuff and uh, get some of the, those discounted audiobooks because I've already bought some already. Nice. Probably yep. more than I should. Uh, as usual, <laughs> October, November, December, huge time. This is the time of, of the year to do it. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. Where are you? Tell us what's going on. So as some of the viewers might be able to see in the background, I'm in a very special location. I am in Providence, Rhode Island right now. And I'm at the Providence Athenaeum, and this is really cool. There's a bunch of cool stuff here where there's 100-year-old books uh, here. There's a bus of all kinds of people. There's, <laughs> I wish I'll show you guys, 
which I'll show you guys in a minute, but uh, there is a taxidermy raven from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, where I'll nice. get into this story uh, in a minute, but uh, he spent more. some time here writing and uh, with uh, a That's girlfriend, which was a little doom, yes, a doomed relationship. Uh, there's so many cool things here. There's a 14-volume set just off behind me to the right that was written in 1908 by A. Michel, and it's called L'Histoire d'Art. So uh, this is the art room, and they got all kinds of things, art. You can see the stacks off to my left. There's tons. Of, there's a, a memoriam for the person who founded the Providence Athenaeum. And then on the reverse side of me, which I would be facing, there are some doors as well, which are really cool. They're creaky and old, and if you do open them... <laughs> Uh, it will scare the bejesus out of you because it did for me. This place is so cool. Uh, the floors creak uh, when you walk down it, not in a weird way, but just in a, uh, you know, it gives that vibe off. And uh, this is a really, really cool place. Uh, I hope that everybody gets to experience it one day, but uh, it's super cool. And I want to spend more time here than I have. Oh, well, we're nice. living vicariously, oh. clearly. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of the description was busts of all kinds of people. <laughs> I love the description just of the place, the feel, because as soon as you mentioned squeaky floors, you know, not only is it a place where someone who loves books or writes would be describing it in that fashion, mm. the way that floor speaks to me as I walk or the sound, it just makes me feel at home. It's, it's that kind of writer or reader feel, isn't it, Ryan? You're in the right place. And just to give you a sense of how old this place is, uh, there's two numbers on each of the doors and their years from when they were founded and when it was renamed, and they're in the 1800s. So not cool from an accessibility standpoint, but they're looking to, I saw this on their website, they're looking to get an elevator installed. They just don't want to ruin anything of the old time. Right. So it's, a yep. you know, obviously, um, unfortunately, not everybody would have access to the second floor where I am. But it's a super cool kind of really narrow staircase. Me and Joe had trouble fitting up it uh, uh, next to each other. So we, it's it's one of those really old places where it uh, don't was want built to a long, long time ago. Exactly, they yeah. don't want it, but they're they're trying their best to kind of figure out how we can preserve everything and then make it accessible yeah. for everybody as well. And how to do that structurally and everything. Hard, hard. But uh, to to quote your friend right there in the picture too, uh, the Raven. Nevermore. That's awesome. I, I just think I that tap, this tap, is tap, such tapping. a great experience. Indeed, right? Okay, tell um, us the story, though. Yeah, so you this got a is story a cool for story. Us, yes, I do. So this is kind of where things began here. And this was a lot shorter than I thought. I actually was more of a long-term love story. But this was a flame that burned too bright sort of thing. So Edgar Allan Poe spent about... I think it was 20 months. Uh, it was just over 20 months here. And he was in a courtship with uh, a woman who is also a very famous poet. Uh, her name is Sarah Helen Whitman. And they did all of their famous writing here. They wrote tons of stories about each other, uh, for each other, and just about life in general. And uh, this gets a, it gets doomed quite quickly. Uh, but uh, after that, it's, for some reason, uh, there were, Edgar Allan Poe uh, was uh, sober. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. Uh, and because he lied to Sarah about this, there was the uh, attempt at suicide for Edgar Allan Poe that uh, Sarah writes about. And now all of these stories, all of these sonnets and poems are chronicled in a 66-page essay that has just been released as of 2016. So it's very new. Uh, and they talked about mm. this on on the, the website as well. And it's kind of a 
just a historic place where they came together. They did most of their writing. They wrote about how important this place was during the, their their courtship and uh, how they met each other. And now um, Sarah Helen Whitman stuff. Uh, she even wrote a parody to The Raven, which it's in that old timey language. So it, I would need somebody to kind of explain a little bit better to me, but it's actually, uh, you can see some of the similarities where she says nevermore. And then there's a, a part where, I'm gonna. I'm, this is the wrong word, but she says like always more or something more like that, and it's it's interesting <laughs> that there's like that parody and that they felt yeah. that in love at the time to be writing about those things. So it's really really cool, and I wanted to call this segment the admiration at the Athenaeum. Mm. I love <laughs> That's it. That's amazing. Yes. So what can you tell us more about that love story? Anything? Like I said, it burned to a uh, flame that burned too brightly. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, it didn't last very long. And, you know, they were really, really into each other and did all this writing. And a lot of the poems in the in the book are very loving. But then it gets to a point, almost uh, identical timeline. And I don't know how they would tell that where they're not so bright, happy, poetic, loving love poems anymore. Mm. And they sort of get to be a little bit... Uh, angry Dark. and and things like that and now even um sarah's sarah's work uh got much darker after that as well mm -hmm. uh, lots more tragedy lots more uh i forget the word they used to describe the book but it was it was really interesting and now I i'm hoping it's an audio i've only read a little bit of it and i had siri read me just a bit of it uh, that was free because uh, i didn't buy it yet but i'm really interested now that i've been here and uh, I, ca I can't I, I just can't wait it's so interesting to hear about the uh, Providence, but written through the lens of two poets who are romanticizing around the location, right? It's kind of an interesting way of getting in, because now that you've told us what's going on around you and where you are, like, in the presence of dot, 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 just all these gorgeous things and pieces of history and art and uh, structure as well, to then think, like, and these are two people who really lived through that location. It, it sounds very chilling. Yeah, and you know what? I just found the date, so actually it's really cool to be sitting in a place that was founded in 1836. Like, mm. that, it, it's so wow. old. Like, that's, that's yep. I can't even imagine the, what, what life was like back then and to be in a place where those two got to come and write and hang out. I uh, haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking to go downstairs in the basement because there's a gigantic reading room, and the services here are renowned, and their children's services and their children's literary works are, it goes nationwide. It's not just for Providence or for the state of Rhode Island. They actually go a lot deeper and a lot more national with those. So they do some great stuff here. And you can even have your oh, wedding you... here if you want. You can even, oh. uh, you know, there's all kinds, you can book parties or office parties and, and things like that here. Uh, showers, there's all kinds of opportunity here. So that's why I was really grateful to kind of get in here and, and let you guys all see the space. Mm. I think that's amazing. Now, you, there's also a connection in the sense of writing when we think about all these back then, the writers together, Walt Whitman and his writing and, and about, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and this, things like that as we look at. And there's so many historical things that it's amazing how the world of it's so small and connected, Ryan. It, it's so connected. And the thing that amazes me is like how much work they've brought together here from different years I mean, it mm. couldn't have been easy to get a 23-volume set that was written in 1908. I mean, it's over 100 years old, well over 100 years old, and to have it here and to be in pristine condition. And the great thing is, I don't know if we're allowed to, but I did. Uh, you can touch it. 
And I don't know if that's uh, that's supposed to be allowed just because it's so old, but uh, it's it's really cool. You got that old book smell, Ramya. We've talked about that before, and it's just a it's, it's a perfect place. I wish I could do the show here every Friday. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome, uh, Brian. Do you have a like? Is there a a scent or a sound? Or you mentioned like the creaky doors and such, or a a, a part of the tactile experience something that feels like you would remember it when you leave this place or unique to it too interesting and i know it's it's not it's not really unique but i think it'll be unique to this place i'm not sure what kind of wood was used to make the floors but we'll talk about the tap tap tapping of the raven on the door i can hear joe's clicking clicking on the floor when we're Aww. walking up the stairs and around so it's really interesting because that was uh i, I don't want to say i don't notice it because there's sometimes when he's on carpet it sounds you know like suction cups or when there's on tile or whatever but it's really interesting mm -hmm. that i noticed that maybe my mindset was in the mode of the Raven, but uh, that's what I think I'll remember is is that just having him strutting his stuff, uh, being the bell of the ball, and uh, <laughs> you know walking through a building that was founded in 1836. Now this wasn't a bucket nails. list thing for you, right? This uh, visiting? No, this was on a whim. Uh, this yeah. was completely on a whim. So I was like, I got to go see it. I'm going to be in the sort of in the area, you know, for for Boston on uh, Sunday. So I, I really this wanted to. Yeah, just it was that I didn't realize how close the the northeast is to everything. It's it's yes. really everything's oh, yeah. within a few New hours. New England is nice yeah. and small that yes, way, isn't exactly. it? It's it's amazing. Yeah, stop and get some. And I hear it's leaf uh, keeping season. Not for me, but I hear oh. all the leaves are turning colors and and the trees yeah. look fantastic. Oh man, and the stuff on the roadsides as you're driving, it's got to be starting to close a lot of them up for the winter. So stop and get a little bit of uh, fish, oysters, or whatever it is there. Um, so with this being an experience and you've, you've gone through and figured out where you'd like to go, what you'd like to see, I'm anxious of, of that when you go downstairs. What a total different. I, I wonder if it's going to be a night and day feel, but anything else you're looking forward to there or anything else you're checking out that you can spoil us for next week? So I don't know that it's going to happen next week because it's closed, but there is a library that is on the Vermont and Canada border and you cross over car uh to into canada and then you walk back across through the library on the uh, through the border you have to show your passport and your documents to get in there but the library is situated both in canada and the u.s and i'm trying to get a hold of them to say hey i would really love to do a show there uh because essentially from two different countries it'd be really cool and i don't know about anyone out there but i haven't really walked across the canada u.s border ever living in windsor it's always driving a bus Neat. car that so i think that would be really really cool Ryan, thank you so much. Um, I feel like we have a couple other great segments coming our way, maybe from different locations, maybe not, but it's going to be really fun. And I uh, appreciate you joining us from here. And guys, just remember, and the Raven never flitting was always sitting. And behind me, I'm getting out of the way so you guys can see it. I apologize. There's a glare, but there is the taxidermy Raven that was right behind me. But uh, it's, awesome. it's actually quite big. Thank you guys so much Lovely. for listening. And We'll see you soon. We will see you soon. Ryan Huey on the Chatty Bookshelf. That's when we talk audiobooks on Fridays with him, sometimes from beautiful places like the Ethereum. Wow, what a way to bring something to us, boy, rounding off our week. Folks, we round it off for officially on the program when we return on the other side of the break. We have cut for time for you, so hopefully you'll stick around and be right back and with us in two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner.
Remember to check out the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. We'd appreciate it. When you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. You want some reasons to do that? Maybe after the show, if you're just joining us, we'll give you some right here. This is Cut for Time, Ramya Muthin. She's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. Joining us from his studio at home, uh, Grant Hardy, to do our execution here of Cut for Time, where we talk a little bit about some of the conversations we've had over the past week. And maybe it wasn't appropriate. Maybe we literally ran out of time or had to say, okay, I got to zip my lip for now, but I'll pick on this on Friday or I'll respond to this in some way. On Friday, we call the segment Cut for Time. So I'm going to let Grant come on in here. He's going to start us off with something from Monday. Welcome, Grant. Hey, folks. Thank you. Don't usually go with a techie one, but I thought this could be kind of interesting. On Monday, Mike Babcock talked to us about pass keys. Hear his explaining how they work. Yeah, so pass keys is interesting. Um, it is, and this might seem a little far-fetched to people, especially if you haven't been in the tech world, uh, but pass keys is a password passwordless future, which means we can at some point in the probably not too near future, say goodbye to the password. Um, and so how pass keys are uh, set up is they are a, a uh, encrypted key that you have a a copy of the key that will unlock and that copy of the key can be stored in your iCloud or one password uh, database and that will unlock so you don't have to enter or remember passwords and they are more secure than passwords because you can't just use password one, two, three as mm. your encrypted key. Yeah, I just wanted to mention a couple other things that uh, I'm not sure that we got into as much. Uh, wh why I really dig pass keys is uh, a, they are, in order to use a passkey, you require a couple of different elements. One is something that your site has access to, Facebook or Google or whatever. But one element is something that only you have access to, which essentially means that um, they cannot be fished. Uh, they cannot be stolen. Like nobody can hack into you know, randomgamingforum.com, steal the database, and all of a sudden they have access to your passkey. That's just not how it works because you need a couple of elements basically put together uh, to get it working. So I think that's really cool. The other thing is, as I mentioned, just the phishing resistance and the resistance to some security concerns. Like it's it's very unlikely that, you know, someone's going to hack, you know, Google's database or, or maybe your bank. But so often we end up using the same, maybe even highly secure password on, I'm going to throw it out there again, randomgamingforum.com. I hope that site doesn't actually exist, <laughs> uh, which may not have quite as good security. Then someone hacks that pass that site, gets your password, then tries it on Google and hello, they have access to your Google account. So I think this is going to be really awesome. The only problem that I can see, especially in the blind community, is a lot of uh, devices, especially maybe blindness specific, like uh, the, the uh, rail note takers, let's say. They're often uh, running very old versions of the software, uh, and they probably will not be updated to incorporate passkeys for the very mm. uh, foreseeable future. And I think that could be a real problem, uh, Kelly, for, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, Ke Kelly, we're going to you, sorry. Uh, that could be a real problem for people trying to adopt this technology. Yeah, I, I wonder, because I know uh, sticking with the, the low vision blind community, 
even just positioning sometimes as so many of us get more used to the feedback we get from our phones for the camera and what have you. Uh, I know love it's lovely to be able to use it to go to your bank. Bring open your app, hold it in front of you, and it you know confirms you, and away it goes. And and uh, Michael mentioned that in there too is that connection that so many of us would like, and I I do, <laughs> I like it. But I remember when I first got my phone and the facial ID, it took me a bit, and I had to do a little online research. What what am I doing wrong? And learn hold it out in front of me this distance away. But that that seems counterintuitive. Shouldn't it be closer to my face? But as a blind person, I don't know what that eye of the camera sees. What that you know and and how much or how it's done it so you know on that level so i i'm all for this as a person who is not the greatest at remembering the password probably sticks to too many not easy but easier ones however if i have to make up passwords i ramya have have really gotten comfortable with a naming convention oh yeah <laughs> i don't know anything but when you're um using icloud keychain as one of these password management apps uh, or yes programs, I guess, uh, you <laughs> often get the opportunity to use strong password that I, iCloud Keychain created. And I can feel my hesitation, like obviously this is oh, the yeah. best case scenario, but then I'm thinking, but I'm not going to be able to remember it. And what if I lose access to this, that, and the other? Because that's the other thing, right? Like there's still a lot of uh, workarounds for not doing really ridiculous things like putting our passwords all in one Microsoft file and just leaving it out mm -hmm. for people to see and all these mm -hmm. different ways that we deal with passwords. So it is, cre you know, clearly the best case scenario to just use biometrics uh, and um, other ways to just get rid of passwords altogether and move on to these passcodes. But Grant, you pointed out some proper concerns. And also, I wonder if this like other things as we move on to newer ways of using technology will just throw people off so much that they don't opt in and continue to use passwords because they're too nervous about what could happen or mm -hmm. understanding what this is yeah it, it's interesting because i worry on the level of when I have to go back and maybe enter a password anyway. Like, I, you know, I get annoyed on my phone having to do it once in a while. Use the facial ID. But in theory, if I don't get used to changing it or whatever, yeah. it, it would be a problem. And eventually you do need some form for things to, to be able to, in case something weird happens or whatever. And unfortunately, there will be cases where, like wearing the mask, if you forget yourself and a facial ID couldn't get you or, you know, the... the and the, there's workarounds the with that now too. Yeah, and most cases, it gets it. It understands because they've made the adjustment to capture more maybe of your eyes, your 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 eyebrows and so on. So really interesting. Cool, cool to bring that up, Grant. On Tuesday, we um, had SDT major Tim Turner with us. He joined us to talk about Operations Pegasus Jump. Fantastic, uh, you know, event, and, and he filled us in on it. So do check it out via the podcast. But before we got to that, he shared with us some thoughts on Remembrance Day. I think we're seeing uh, what we have, I think, is good. Um, we do have quite a good uh, participation in these events. Uh, I was living in Alberta. That's where our brigade is in Edmonton. And I used to run the largest... Uh, parade in Alberta, which was at the Butter Dome at the University of Alberta. We'd have 5,000 spectators, and uh, we would have close to 800 on parade. Along with, that was the only broadcast uh, service in the province, so that was also televised. 
Um, oh. My daughter's a principal in uh, Edmonton, and they the schools do a fantastic job at educating the kids and holding assemblies and bringing the veterans in. Um, so, yeah, I think we're set up for success. I think it's going well. I love the image I got in my mind, Tim, I will say, of the Butter Dome. Um, you know, I always struggle with where we used to be when I was a kid to now with Remembrance Day. Do we do enough? Do we have access to enough of the service? If you necessarily can't be there at a cenotaph when something is going on at 11 a.m. in the morning. I really needed to hear him say he thought we were doing well here in this country because it's that thing that you really don't ever want to dishonor anyone, don't want to show the, the lack of respect lest we forget. Don't want to do that. And I know we've got enough going on in the world right now that it's pretty hard to forget war, conflict, death, and what is given up for others to have their freedom. So I really needed to hear that because I know myself as a person who I think I've always done well. I've tried very hard to be there for that minute or two at 11. I certainly think about it. I certainly try to learn a little bit about the history of, of individual wars and what people gave up. Um, or or at least to say thank you. You know, I'm not saying I need the, the morbid curiosity of every battle, everything that went on there, um, and that makes me feel like I'm aware or being more aware and being understanding. I, I think it's that taking, as we talked about, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, find something that you relate to that you want to learn about. Every year it may be something different. It may be that same thing that that day means a lot. And as a black Canadian, it means a lot. As a disabled Canadian, it means a lot that these folks went over and, and have given me a freedom, a chance to exist here in, in Canada. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure many others feel the same way. It's something hard to articulate. You hear me stammering, you know, but it's a lot of emotional feelings, wearing the poppy, doing the things that are really little. Um, and you look at the legions right now, very much struggling for multiple reasons, a lot do coming to the pandemic, you hear that as an item, but you just really want to say simply, thank you. And I think that grant is the key. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a couple things here. I, I just think that, I think you, we really value things that are scarce. And one of those, of course, is memory. Uh, that, you know, that's the whole point of Remembrance Day is like, how could you forget something as big as these events? But when we look at other things from our history, they are just so distant that people don't really know or think about or comprehend them anymore. It's it's distant, distant memory. And I think that's one thing that's really important about Remembrance Day is, is just, again, kind of keeping the, the memory alive for some of these people you know who essentially went all over the place without much or any choice fought you know terrible in terrible circumstances uh and ultimately came home maybe without enough tools support to kind of overcome some of that trauma so i guess it's yeah it's just one of those things of you know, whatever our thoughts are on sort of the politics involved, just really honoring those individuals who gave their hearts, their souls, their bodies, and in some case, their lives to help preserve the world at home. So again, I just really think, Ramia, it's, it's all about honoring those individuals and fighting the battle of like 
the scarcity of memory and forgetting. Yep, exactly. There's so much that we have going on from day to day, our distractions, our priorities, our lifestyles, our, our people, our mental health. There's so many things, right? And uh, I, it's obvious that we just put a lot of um, these precious things that we need to be grateful for, not just things, people, efforts, all kinds of things, history. And we put all of that stuff on the back burner just because of our own daily lives. And that includes those of us who know the struggle firsthand or secondhand from uh, parents and people before us, the, the kinds of efforts that people have gone through and we have gone through to get here, to be here, to sit where we are today, off the backs and shoulders of those before us. And, you know, for very obvious reasons, like I pointed out, we put all these things aside, but we have to. You know, it's the same as setting an alarm, for a, a, a reminder of anything else, we need to focus on the days, focus on the hours and the moments uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m., whatever it is, all of these different, different things throughout the year, it's so easy to just toss it and say, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, I'm appreciative, uh, I remember, but no, I'm talking like really mentally focus on what it is, on who it is, and all of these different efforts that we've pointed out throughout this week uh, on other people taking that opportunity and taking that time is a reminder for us to do the same. So set your alarms and do it. On Wednesday's show, as the last thing we want to um, bring up on Cut for Time, on Wednesday's show, Corinne Van Dusen spoke about this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, and he or she is talking about the diversity involved with the event this year. Yes, it was a grand night indeed for a show of uh, diversity, as you just said, a strong representation of women and black artists. So the show opened with Cheryl Crow, who was being inducted. She took to the stage with Olivia Rodrigo. And when performances happen there, usually a lot of musicians come in to uh, help sing things. So Stevie Nicks. Uh, joined her and Peter Frampton. So uh, that's that's pretty hard rocking, as they would say. <laughs> uh, what, um, what a sound that would have made, right? With those mm-hmm. voices. Oh. Or yeah. playing. Yeah. All of them playing, all of them singing would have been amazing. Another, um, another amazing thing, Shaka Khan was uh, inducted and Sia and her and uh, Common all came together to sing stuff with Shaka Khan. So they had the absolute, it would have been amazing to see the, I feel for you, ain't nobody sweet thing. And then of course you can't have Shaka Khan without I'm every woman. And that apparently brought everyone to their feet. It was just, you know, it it was the the party atmosphere that you needed. I think you can tell you still get that rock and roll vibe uh, and energy, as Corinne's talking about, the excitement and the um, the moving and the diversity and just the excitement, like, I don't know, energy around all of this. But also, if you kind of take in year after year what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is doing and um, these events themselves, how they're being presented, how they're being perceived, you can definitely tell 
that there is a shift. It might be a gradual shift of the needle, but it's happening. And when you go back to what this was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's a very different kind of thing. And I'd love to see more of this everywhere. You know, any kind of inductation or, or um, award ceremony or just parameters around this, that, or the other, everything is kind of becoming more or less diverse, but I want to see more of that going forward because the more we can recognize the importance of the diversity, the more fun we can have with it, right? And the more that everyone can be involved and feel less oppressed, less annoyed, less like we need to boycott this, that, or the other. And hey, if something like just doesn't work anymore, a particular kind of award ceremony or uh, accolade, then toss it. Well, it's easier said than done. But that's just how I feel about it. I really think that we're at a time where if we can appreciate it and we can't move forward together and and embrace everybody and hold hands, then why does it exist? Because we just, you know, don't have space for these things anymore. Kels. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. I used to love that in the song <laughs> when it would begin, man. Loved it. Um, such great words. It, really amazing what they've done and how, uh, out of all, I think you'd sit back and say, what music style would be the most accepting of all genres? And I used to think it would be dance or, or rap because they sample so much and, you know, that kind of thing. But so wonderful to see what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has done. Grant, thank you for being oh, with us, man. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Go put some Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan on, would you? Uh, we do this Cut for Time on Fridays. Catch us next Friday for another edition of Cut for Time. Up next, let's wrap up the Friday edition of our program. Swing that gateway to the weekend wide open for you. We'll see what's going on over the weekend on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Got a closing moment for you. And we'll preview Monday's show in a moment. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. So much to talk about before we wave bye to you folks so please hang in here for a few moments remember you can check out repeats of the show 10 p.m eastern time on ami audio and ami tv and 1 a.m in the morning on ami tv 6 a.m in the morning ami audio we uh do our live show 2 p.m eastern every day monday through friday 4 p.m you get the first broadcast on ami audio also subscribe please to the podcast if you wouldn't mind give us a rating and review we'd absolutely love to to get your comments and uh, thank you very much for any time any way that you take in the program Rami Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program, and let's dive into a little bit what's going on on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm going to start, folks, with AMI-tv. We were talking about Remembrance Day. AMI-tv offers live audio description of the CBC News special, Remembrance Day 2023. Join Rosemary Barton as she hosts... CBC's live coverage of the Remembrance Day coverage. They've got the ceremony from the National Memorial War Memorial in Ottawa. The CBC News special, um, Remembrance Day 2023, airs Saturday from 10 a.m. Eastern Time to 12.30 Eastern Time on AMI-tv with live description. That's 
sounds like something to definitely tune in for. Also, if you're going over to AMI-audio and missed the latest headlines from the Globe and Mail, you can tune into the best of the Globe and Mail today, Sundays on AMI-audio. Join hosts um, Mike Ross and Corinne Van Dusen as they deliver news, editorials, and business, sports and entertainment stories pulled from the latest edition of the Globe and Mail. That's the best of the Globe and Mail today, Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. For a closing moment, going to stick a little bit with um, TV, actually, folks, okay. because this November 10th is Sesame Street Day. Oh. So, did you know that Sesame Street is the most widely viewed kids show in the world? Even though initially it was meant to be fun and educational, the show has uh, evolved into an international cultural phenomenon. So their suggestion for today is spell out our love. For this particular program. Now, Ram, I've got some ideas here that I, I found. I do that? Okay. People could do. Yeah. Maybe we start with uh, sports and Sesame Street gear. Kind of like Kelly and Romeo swag, mm. right? Um, there's so many things out there in which people can choose from. T-shirts are never a bad option. Um, hats are a really good way to show your appreciation. Although, however, it's got to be one of those furry, big variety. If not, you're slacking off, okay? Also... <laughs> Watch the show, of course, with nearly 5,000 episodes produced. You could even find something quite easy. A deep cut might be hard to choose, but you can find it so easy uh, on, on YouTube or any other ways by picking any particular random episode out there. Also, Rum, this is right up your alley. Get the house ready. Have a Sesame Street karaoke party. <laughs> okay, that sounds hey. like my thing. Debbie, come on, go over to Rums, yep. and you guys have some fun. <laughs> Not even gaming, we're just doing that. Uh, grab your friends, warm up your vocals, and get worried to rock out Sesame Street style. Everyone's got oh. a favorite song out there. C is for Cookie, Rubber Ducky. <laughs> okay, that's going to be my actual problem. I don't know any Sesame Street songs. I'm sure somebody will teach me. Let's make it up uh, as we go. That's my excuse all the time. <laughs> Uh, folks, coming up on our show Monday, what are some tech gifts you can get for your techie in the family this holiday season? Marco Flalo of Access Tech Live. He'll tell us about a few products. I'm so looking forward. Also, independent living skills with Leanne Barda. She's going to continue our talk on kitchen cleaning. So much comes up, including food prep and safety. Folks, we're going to wave bye to you. Tell you to enjoy your weekend. Please have those great thoughts for Remembrance Day. And uh, thank you, uh, everyone out there. We appreciate you being with us and spending time with us now. Go do something. Get out of here, will you? Hosts, Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amadan. Reporter, Grant Hardy. Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion Jones. Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI Audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV production, Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback. 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023. Accessible Media Inc. I want to take a moment to give a shout out to the Ontario Blind Sports Gala. Uh, this is an induction event that happens 
They're holding it in Brantford this year at the Best Western Hotel on Saturday, the 11th of November. This is the 10th anniversary. So Fedora's off, guys, so many years. And I recall going all the way back to the beginning when planning was starting for the first one. And when I was invited to be a part of that, and we all weighed in on different things OBSA could be doing when it came to this event. And of course, I was asked if I had the interest in being MC. And I said, you guys couldn't even stop me. And some would say, okay, Cal, were you really active in sports? Were you tied into OBSA for years? And I certainly wasn't. No. I mean, I was reasonably active in my teenage years in sports, for sure. Um, did everything from track and field to gold ball uh, to, to playing intramural sports at the blind school of hockey, baseball, football, so on. But And I come from a sports family, too. My, my dad coached football for years. My siblings played it competitively as, as kids. Um, my dad even played a bit of professional football in the CFL up here in Canada. But what really did it for me were all the people I knew that went to Paralympics, uh, people I knew that were training, and we all were side by side trying to get somewhere, trying to qualify, and the staff, the builders. So when this thing came to be, there were so many people. I knew, and we'd keep kicking names around of, okay, when this person gets inducted, or hey, you remember, wow, that person really was amazing in the sport. And it really wasn't so much about accolades of what they had done as much as participating, the years they put in, the time. And it's always fun sitting around with these folks and hearing the stories. You know, there's always stories about this, that, going on the road trips, especially the coaches and builders that help support it. And... It's been wonderful, AMI's support as a sponsor, what we can do, and I, I think as, as someone who they've approached, and I say that OBSA, I, I don't do this as a AMI host or anything like that. Through the 10 years I've been involved, it's really been on my own request of the, of, of the organization, the people that I know there, and, and I see it changing. Different people on the board different things to do, certainly athletes that I sit back and I don't know this person, builders who have come up and who by now are getting their accolades so many years in. Fedora's off, great event, happy 10th anniversary Ontario Blind Sports Induction Gala, uh, really proud to be a part of it and um, returning this year and very honored that I was asked to be MC on the 10th anniversary because it's something I'm, I'm kind of backing away a little bit from. Um, giving other people a chance to get in there and um, and have that experience. But it's such a special thing. For me, it's been wonderful watching people I know get wrecked. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.